guys, welcome back to another episode of the Unlimited Potential Podcast. We fully made the transition to recording our episodes through Anchor, thanks to the help of our wonderful guest we got on today, Danny Warwick. Danny has his Bachelor of Science in Strength and Conditioning from Limerick Institute of Technology, and also his Master's of Social Science from UCD, uh, where we met initially back in Ireland. But I'm going to hand the reins right over to Danny now, so let us, uh, let us know a little bit about yourself, your background in SNC, your come up in coaching. Perfect, mate. Cheers. First of all, mate, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I love this podcast and it's a real honor for me to be asked to come in. And once again, thank you for coming on mine last week. But where I've predominantly worked has been in the sport of basketball. So I might just take you through that kind of journey. So I guess going all the way back to 2014, I started as an intern on a high school team um, underneath my brother who has a master's in strength and conditioning so he was very kind to let me work underneath him for a year and very very it was a very successful season very lucky we, we were we were in a bottom division in Ireland which means they hadn't played the most games to get to an all Ireland final and somehow we managed to win about 16 17 games in a row and got us to um, an all Ireland final very much probably not a whole lot to do with the SNC to be honest we're very lucky and a very good head coach um, that head coach then got a job with a regional team um so he was so i give you an example ireland has broke up into four provinces munster leinster ulster and connacht so i guess this would be kind of like the southern ontario team or maybe half of ontario or something like that um so about 12 15 region teams in ireland so the first year once again on that regional team i was an intern and we got to the quarterfinals uh, so that would have been 2015 and then the second year i took on a snc role within that southwest regional team as an snc coach that was a real successful year. It was probably my first real coaching role within basketball that I hadn't been an internship. Um, so I was really excited for that, kind of taking the reins a little bit. We did extremely well. We got to do a one-on-one final and lost by a point in, in, I think, in overtime. It was a real tight game. But during that tournament, it's like a three, three-day tournament, a weekend in the National Basketball Arena in Dublin, um, a coach came up to our head coach at the time and asked all about us. And we were like, who the fuck's this guy? It turned out to be the Irish under-15 women's coach, Carl Kilbride. And then Carl Kilbride came up to us afterwards and said, hey, look, we're looking for some SNC coaches. I've kind of seen the stuff you're doing. It's kind of similar to the SNC coach we had last time. Would you guys like to go for an interview? And we're like, fuck yeah, of course, no problem. Um, I, uh, so we went for the interview and laid out our plan over a two-year, what we do for a two-year program. And that all went well and we got awarded a job. So that was my first step into international work, um, working with the Irish and the 15 women team. So about three months into that program, uh, the under 20 women's coach, the head of uh, the under 20 women's coach was looking for an SNC coach. So she approached Carl Kilbride about us. Carl put my name forward. I went for an interview, laid out my plan and boom, ended up with the under 20 uh, women's coach. So within a period of, you know, two years, I went from maybe just over two years, went from being an intern on a, a secondary or high school team to the head of SNC for an Irish under 20 women's team. So that was, that was a real quick growth and uh, being perfectly honest, definitely wasn't ready for it. Um, but that, that under-20 team taught me so many lessons. First of all, I was only 21 years old coaching a bunch of 20-year-old women, so it was very hard to get by in authority, but I think it told, showed me how how hard I had to work to make sure they were you know, working hard as well. Um, that, that culminated in a 2017 European Championship tournament in Israel, and I think the two weeks we were in Israel, I learned more about the body, how it recovers, and how athletes work than I did in four years in college. So then... That was really important for me. I made loads of mistakes, dude. Uh, learned loads from it. I still have a book now, which lays out, man, I must have been so hard on myself when I look back at it. 
every day I'd write down 10 things I did wrong and, and try to make them better the next day throughout that whole tournament. Um, and some of them are just like, you know, you, you wouldn't even think about, but at the time you're like, yeah, okay, I'm going to be harsh myself now and hope this pays dividends in the future. So then came back from Israel and got back together with my under 16 team and started working with them. And this is where I suppose I'd been working consistently with the under 15 right through the under 16 team. So I was still working with them, but I was back really involved now because I had obviously had uh, reduced my role in the under 15 because we had two other SNC coaches there while I went to the under 20 role. Um, and this is where the implementation of the programming really took a, took a different stance and really went, you know, to probably what I would say to the next level. And I suppose we'll talk about that a little bit later. So that kind of culminated in a pretty successful European Championships in Montenegro in 2018. And I guess I should probably say during this time, um, I'd kind of been working with, uh, I've done two seasons with Calesta uh, Women, which is a Super League team. So Super League is the top league in Ireland for basketball. So this was my first production, I guess, into senior women's basketball. Um, and they were pretty successful seasons. They could have been a little bit better, but it, I definitely enjoyed the whole preseason into in-season and stuff like that set up. Um, and I guess during this time as well, I'd kind of been made a little bit of a name myself as the kind of S&C guy for basketball within Munster. So I got a few jobs for a while. For actually, right until I left to come here, I was head of athletic development for uh, Munster region. So I basically go around to all the regional academies within Munster and, you know, lay out speed mechanics with all their programming, do their nutritional talks, all this kind of stuff. And I was director of performance for a basketball club called Limerick Lions, which meant it was only for one year. And I did basically, I did uh, from the ground up their youth development model for them. Um, and then after, I suppose bring it back to after Montenegro finished um, to 2018, Island Basketball asked me, would I stay involved? And I was, I was happy to, but I really had my heart set on coming to Canada at that point, which is where I am right now. And I really wanted to come for the summer, mate. I know you were in Ireland for a little bit, so you know we don't get a whole lot of sun. So I was very excited to get over here in, in somewhere like June rather than August. So I had to kind of think about myself. I didn't want to take a European championship team because they're usually in August, which meant I would have had to stay in Ireland until the end of August and miss the summer. Um, so I took an under-17 development squad, which basically a kind of bridge year from the 16s to 17s. Um, yeah, uh, so I did that for a year while I was finishing up. And at that time, I hired an intern. I had a few interns, but this is a, a, guy, a really good guy, Michael Stack, um, and he took over when I left in in May. Um, so that kind of brings me to where I am today, mate. That's sick, man. So I'm interested, just to kind of going back to your point about buy-in with, uh, with you know, as you said, you were 21 years old. You were coaching a bunch of 20-year-old women uh, at that time. What are some things you did to kind of get them bought into your coaching and get them bought into the program itself? Yeah. Um, first of all, I, I definitely... I definitely had a helping hand from the head coach, Maeve Coleman, who deserves a, a big shout out in the fact that she made the the big emphasis on SNC, like a huge emphasis she always did. And every coach I worked with in Basketball Island saw the benefit of it and really put that as a front foot. So that that definitely helped me big time. Um, I think, honestly, if I, I was, if I could go about it again, I don't know if I'd do anything a little bit differently because obviously it taught me so much. But I did, I put in as much effort as I probably put into anything in my whole entire life. I would talk to every player every single day if, if they wanted to talk. I would, um, and it, it really was too much, to be honest, on, on my side. I had, obviously, at that point, it was like 25 players. So I would talk to the majority of them every day. If they had any problems, any questions, I'd be straight back to them. And I was just more on the side that if I showed them how much this means to me, then, then, then they might actually re reciprocate it. I think I was naive in understanding the level of athleticism or the level, sorry, not athleticism, it's a very wrong way to put it, of SNC training they'd done before. 
so it's very hard to convince them from doing nothing for many a year to now all of a sudden I want you to be part of a very structured S&C plan. Um, but I gave presentations on it. Um, I sat down with players. I found out about their injuries. I'm probably getting to that a little bit more. I told them what they need to do. And I, I kind of always put it at the point, as I said to all the time, you want to put yourself in the best position possible to play as many minutes at European Championships. This is a, re- Sorry, this is a real important year for you um because this is the year that scholarships get picked you know you're in your last year of school of high school um if you have been thinking about going to the states and people are looking at you they're going to be at those european championships and they are going to be looking at you so do you want to be sitting on the bench because you couldn't last the whole game do you want to be sitting on the bench because you picked up an acute injury do you want to blah, blah 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 and that's the way i went about it and i kind of found out how important it was to them and you know it's it's the one third rule mate you know in any team you're going to have a third of players who are really really into the snc a third of players who are and a third of players who just don't give a shit. And I really tried at the start to put my emphasis on everybody. And then I narrowed it down a little bit. If you were really going to work with me, then I'm really going to work with you. If, if it doesn't matter, uh, then it doesn't matter. And then trying to find objectable things. If it doesn't matter to you, then it does matter to me, but I, I'm not going to force you into doing things you don't want to do. Um, you know, someone once said the greatest way, why do people think the greatest way to get by in is to make them hate it? If they hate it, they hate it. But just be aware that you are putting yourself at a disadvantage to everyone else. And that's, I made very, and do you know what, mate? It, you know, I think if you show you care, you know, was it you said on my podcast the other day, they don't care unless they know how much you care or something. It's very, very similar to that. Mm-hmm. Honestly, man, no one, no one cares how much you know. Exactly. How much you care. And you, I mean, I love that approach. You were, you were getting to know people as, as a person outside of the sport of basketball, but always relaying it back to their goals and to basketball and to sport and to S and C. And it's, it's important to bridge that gap. Right. And then teaching those guys and, and girls in your case, you know, the understanding of why we're doing these things. So I think you did a great job and like, you know, maybe put a little bit too much on your plate at the beginning, but you kind of adjust and you adapt to certain things and you kind of figure it out as a, as a coach as well. So I'm sure they appreciate, you know, you going the extra mile to, to be the best coach that you can be because you're bringing out the best of them mm-hmm. too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%. Well, that's awesome. So you kind of talked about, you know, you were, you were dabbling in coaching the international setup. Like what kind of, how, how was that? Like, what did you guys, what did you guys, how did you guys approach that? Yeah. So um, what I'll do, I suppose if, if we, what I'll do is I'll stick to the Irish of the 16 women's team today and I'll kind of tell you all, all about that. So um, I think that's probably a better way. Cause I, sure. And anyone who wants to get a, date, a deeper insight into it, uh, I have a, a detailed report that I have on, on my Instagram. So if anyone wants to come and ask afterwards for that, we can do that. But I guess, I guess I'll break it down maybe into the four, four regions for you. Maybe the, the kind of fitness testing, the physical testing, the strength work, the kind of injury reduction, and then the kind of speed work we do. Um, so maybe if I just start with fitness testing, does that sound good to you? Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, so get, we'll start, like I said, the under 16 um, Irish team. So we had, we had about five or six tests, um, we would test their anthropometrics, their height, their weight. Now, my Irish under 20 team, we had a team nutritionist who tested body fat. Obviously, on the under 16 team, we didn't do that. But that kind of the main rationale behind the, the height and weight was obviously we want to see fluctuations in weight. Um, uh, and also, we want to see whether they, they're kind of a little bit late for their, their peak high velocity. But if they did have any extra growth spurts and stuff like that, we want to be aware of that. And we want to have that recorded. Um, we did a big movement analysis um, part of it. And you know, you say what you want. I tell you the kind of main rationale behind it is because they were in a scenario which is very similar to today. Um, they were training pretty much from their bedrooms. Um, 
a lot of them would have obviously would have access to gyms, but they had such a hectic schedule between basketball and other sports that it really made more sense to do their strength work from our home. So we wanted to make sure that, and obviously in an international setup, you only really see them once a month, maybe twice a month, maybe once every six weeks. So when we had them and we were doing testing and stuff like that, I really wanted to make sure that they could perform a decent overhead squat, you know, an inline lunge, a shoulder mobility test, a hip hinge and active straight leg raise, all these kind of key movements that would correlate back to their training. Um, we did not, ironically, and we'll talk a lot about speed, we did not test objectively speed because I couldn't guarantee that we'd have speed gates over a period of time. Now, I, I was 20 years old, right? right? And um, everyone who would promise us speed gates would then find out we were taking them halfway across the country and be like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. And I'm like, that's fair enough. They're expensive pieces of equipment. Um, and I wasn't, you know, I'm a sticker. If I wasn't having the same speed gates every time, uh, or the same, obviously, brand of speed gates at least, then I wouldn't be doing them. So we said, all right, fine. It seems like it's not going to be able to be done. Fair enough. We had our own jump mat. So when it came to testing power, we started with our squat jump and counter movement jump. And, you know, I, I took the approach as well when it comes to youth athletes. And you'll see that a lot is we want to teach them the things that are going to make them better as adult athletes as well. So if some of these girls are looking to go to scholarships in America and they need to do know how to be tested. And we took an approach that the first couple of testings would be all about teaching them how to be tested and how to do appropriate things. Um, as a, as a, as a, I guess as the, the, the teams went on a little bit and the, each time there'll be a cut. So we start with 36 and we end up with 12. So they get cut at 24, 20, 16, and then down to 12. We'd implement more stuff like a basketball chest throw and a reactive stroke test, so a drop jump. Um, that gave, obviously, when we had more time to, to do that with less athletes. Um, then kind of we do a landing mechanics test the whole time. And that's probably kind of, we get into that a little bit later. Why we do that? Um, basically just a very simple drop off bench and just make sure they always reinforce some good landing mechanics. Uh, double leg and single leg and then we would do an aerobic capacity test and we actually did a yo-yo test um which you, uh, some people will be like basketball yo-yo test what's the correlation i tell you the only the, the main rationale behind why we did it is the only bit of uh data that i had on any other irish national team was a yo-yo test from uh, two years beforehand where the ssc coach sat down with me and said this is the yo-yo scores my girls got to these are the ones who did well and seemed to be quote unquote fit at Europeans and these are the ones who weren't so I was like okay well if I can try and match the scores per position that he's laid out for me then we might have a at least a goal to get to and that kind of wrapped up the fitness testing mate really cool that's awesome man I think yeah I think you guys taking the approach of teaching them you know the proper protocols when it comes to getting to the next level was important uh you know that's a, I like that approach for sure and what about the strength work like moving out from the fist now that you have some numbers to us that you've assessed like how did you use those numbers to, you know, correlate to the strength work? Yeah, exactly, mate. Um, so you'll, you'll find out, I suppose, over the podcast today, I'm a big, big fan of phases, like a like a step-by-step -step approach. And that that's just because I want to know where I'm going and where I came from. Um, it doesn't always stay the same. It's not rigid, but I want to have a basic idea of what I'm progressing them on with. with. Uh, so obviously, we, I took an eight-phased approach um, or eight-step approach, and I'll kind of lay out each step for you now. They came in, I guess, they were like, 15 14 15 so you know no idea of strength work so with the first phase we called corrective aa phase mate we're just teaching them the exercises the mobility stability work basic compound lifts we introduced introduce the you know, double leg landing um we they're basically with some basic core exercises their main resistance tool was their own body weight and maybe a few resistance bands here and there with that for a period of time and then we moved them on to what we called phase two or like basic strength one this was kind of a higher introduction of resistance band. So kind of similar exercises again, but you know, they might be doing rows with a band. They might be doing, um, you know, squats with the bands around knees and stuff like that. Um, 
Then we added in some anti-rotational work, so paddle presses, stuff like that. Then we moved into phase three or basic strength two, as we called it. Um, and this was kind of a, more of a push maybe from bilateral to unilateral work. So people who could do single, leg, uh, sorry, who were doing hip hinges now moved on the single leg RDLs. And then we might do, you know, squats, but also single leg squats to a box and stuff like that. Um, people who were able to do it. We, when it came to the landing mechanics in this phase, we kind of didn't reprogress them on. We just put the drop, drop uh, double leg landing and single leg landing mechanics together. And then we added in a bit of a rotational core work into this phase, kind of introduction into that. So that kind of took up probably, the, the, it was all little phases inside the phase. So that probably took up, you know, the first six, seven months of the programming. So that kind of brought us around to summer again. So during the summer, we have what we called, you know, and I say this hastily, a conversion to power phase or basically nailing the basics of plyometrics, jumps and throws. So this was a good time for them. We'd see them more often so we could really teach them all the basics of, of plyometrics and get them used to how to do them. Um, how to do different throws and how to bound, how to hop, how to skip, stuff like that. Um, we then kind of, once that came along, we once that kind of finished, we moved them back into what we call, we called like just strength one. And this is where we went into kind of adding more actual dumbbells, barbells, stuff like that. They had a good base of strength. Now, now some athletes had already moved on to that phase, but for the main part, we'll, we'll keep it as if they're all doing the same. Um, so a real emphasis, and I think what we talked about, uh, why, what we kind of really put into emphasis here was, tempo now we had talked about tempo when it came to body weight and we talked about tempo when it came to resistance band but when you add a weight to them you know with youth athletes it seems it will disappear a little bit they just go up and down as fast as possible because maybe it's a little bit of fear and stuff like that so a real emphasis on working on tempos and controlling movements and stuff like that uh, we had our double leg landing single leg landing we actually added a little bit more rotational landing here and um, that was kind of that phase then we kind of I goes, I guess, go back to what I was saying earlier about them working out within their room. When it came to strength space six or like strength two, we took a real approach that, okay, well, they, most of them only have one set of dumbbells, a kettlebell, barbell, stuff like that. Um, we're going to look at, we're going to look at somehow progressing them without end up fucking putting the reps through the roof. And obviously the next option is then a real emphasis once again on tempo. So we, we introduced isometric and eccentric training for them. Um, and this is really where I think we saw our biggest response. So they had like, you know, I mean, girls would, went from in, in, you know, phase one, not being able to do a single push up to being able to do uh, a five each second eccentric on a push up hold and then do the push up back up again or six second isometric holds and certain exercises at the bottom of squat. Um, this is where they actually kind of probably came into their own a little bit. And I was like, gee, shit, this is starting to work really well here. Um, and I, I mean, that might be the fact that they kind of, a lot of them at that point had finished burrowing and uh, they were starting to get a little more used to their bodies and, you know, the coordination was a lot better, but, you know, they're, they're all different aspects. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this this went on for a period of time. And then our phase seven was basically, mate, we put them moving weights a little bit faster. So we wanted to kind of have a lot more explosive work going into the Europeans, but we didn't want to come straight from eccentric, you know, slow movements and isometric straight into a, a convoy, like a, explosive power phase so we had what we call like a strength speed phase where they would basically just move the weights a little bit quicker um and we would kind of look at their you know their triple extension and reactive strength and stuff like that um and then phase eight we was kind of leading up to the european championships where we would have our conversion to power phase triple extension reactive strength we did a little bit of contrast training a little bit of pap stuff like that and at the same time we could kind of finish off with our accessory strength work and that was pretty much it mate that was the eight phases over two years that's that's uh that's pretty extensive man and you guys are giving them a good solid foundation a good solid base to build off of moving into like what you said like the speed work or more so like the the speed strength work right it's kind of saying you can't really jump from from strength work right into speed strength they're building that 
that linear progression, which is important, especially for youth athletes, right? Following that long-term athlete development plan is, is, is something that's key to, again, kind of going back to what we've always been, we've been slightly mentioning, you know, injury reduction and, and that type of stuff, but having strength as that foundation is going to, you know, build more resilient athletes that are going to be able to lower their chances of getting hurt. Right. Um, but you kind of talk, you, you talk about yeah. later in the, in the phases about getting into more plyometrics and, you know, that type of stuff. Would you consider that stuff speed work? Or when you guys talk about speed work, are you talking more just like straight linear change of direction, more like sprinting or is your plyometrics geared into your speed? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, um, it's a really good point, actually. It's a really good question. I We have we have speed work right now. I, I think, you know, I'll lay out a five-phase approach to you now in a second. But when it comes to plyometrics, um, for me, mate, during this phase, I wanted them to be able to do it all. Uh, first year round, it was a nailing technique of it, and I wasn't too worried about the – it sounds crazy. I wasn't too worried about the effect it had. I wanted, I took this approach that, you know, I want them to know how to do this. They're, it's their off-season – I want them to, when we come back next year, they have a really good idea when they move on to future programs. This might be the last time they have a really SNC coach who's going to do plyometric with them. I don't want them to never perfect the technique of it. Um, and yeah, I, I do. I mean, the the importance of a stretch shortening cycle um, in, in any kind of sprinting or basketball is such a, uh, an SNC, SSC, sorry, specific sport, you know, yeah. And then improving that, of course, uh, was a big, was a big, I guess, goal of ours. But if you actually... Um, a friend of mine, James Lockman, has been doing a lot of stuff on SNC. He's a master's dissertation on it and basketball. And if anybody wants to go over to his pages, I think it's Why Not Me, um, Athlete Development. He has a lot of slides on why it's important, how to train it and stuff like that. And if you want to kind of know the approach that we had, it was kind of very similar to that. Um, uh, so, yeah, I guess, I guess. And then when you talk about, you know, sprint work, I, you know, this, you know, the basketball court is, 27 meters long so it doesn't leave a whole lot of room to get into your maximal velocity right so acceleration is a real key component of it um so i i, I suppose i can take you through the the five a kind of a five phase approach that we use for uh straight line speed is that something you'd be interested to listen to absolutely man i'm a, i'm all about speed man i'm a big big proponent on it so i'd love to hear you guys approach to that yeah, cheers. Um, so exactly, right? So um, it's it's super it's super important, especially in especially at zero to five and basketball. There's so many changes of direction, and agility is a whole different ball game. But we'll take it from a very linear, straight line approach. So as you as I said earlier, mate, I love phases and I love being able to move athletes on. I love to know where we're going. I love to know where we came from. Um, so phase one, you know, is and you'll you'll see a lot. You'll see the word reinforcement a lot in this. Um, so it's always a reinforcement of technique. But obviously, phase one is these girls have never even heard of sprint mechanics before. So it's all about technique. So it was really kind of aimed at improving their low angles and acceleration. Their kind of aggressive arm swing, foot positioning through striking the ground, and kind of that alternating arm and leg action. And um, we kind of performed everything over ten to fifteen meters with like a real emphasis on that five meter acceleration performance. Like I said, in the testing, we didn't really have any speed gates. We didn't have any objective data, which is it's a shame. Um, but kind of as we were doing technique work, we were kind of using our coaching eye anyways. It wasn't a whole a whole issue. But I would love to have had to look back at some objective data, but it just wasn't the case. We weren't able to do it. In this phase, mate, which I think uh, I would like to – I think it's pretty important and coaches maybe do a little bit too soon. Is we didn't put any reaction stimulus forward in this phase. We're trying to teach them a technique. And – because we only saw them once every four weeks, or once every six weeks, or maybe if we were lucky twice a month, we had we didn't have a whole lot of time. So I didn't want to eliminate any reps or poor reps by adding in, you know, them a reaction stimulus and then misreacting to the verbal stimulus. Um, and we'll, that was the first phase. So no verbal stimulus, no stimulus at all. Just 
okay, mate, you're going you're gonna to run, you're going to do this now. Um, you know, you, you're going to do this drill. So we use mobile drills such as ball drive, stomach starts, falling starts, stuff like that. You're going to do this, take as much time as you need to recover and go again. So the main goal was let them sprint, give them some feedback, kind of recover sufficiently and then let them sprint again. And then that kind of moves us on to phase two where we kind of talk about like a, a reinforcement of technique and then we add in a verbal reaction. So it didn't differ hugely from the first phase of work, um, but athletes were, like I said, we're now reacting to a verbal stimulus, such as a whistle or instruction to go. I actually ended up implementing just basically plays that we were using at Europeans. So a coach once said to me, an Irish coach once said to me, why do, why do every coach always use a whistle? A whistle means the game stopped. And I was like, that's pretty true. We should have some different re verbal reaction stimulus. You know, we don't like the, so we would maybe put in a certain name of a play or something like that. And they would react to that and go, um, this, this key component in this phase is really just like a reinforcement on, on the technique that we've been learning. Um, but we also kind of worked on, you know, regression techniques because obviously if we're only seeing them once, twice a month at the most, then a lot of them don't have their own individual speed coaches. Some did, which was great, uh, but they would start to see, you know, some regressions, maybe it'd be, you know, same sided movement, leg and arm, stuff like that. Uh, once the kind of, once again, during this phase, everything over 10 to 15 meters, let them recover sufficiently and go again um then i guess that moves us on to phase three and feel free mate to jump in and ask any questions at any point um so kind of the, the phase three was reinforcement verbal reaction then we had the second stimulus of visual reaction so we would use basically basketballs and tennis balls realistically it was almost most of the point it was a basketball i'm, I'm a big fan of trying to keep it as specific as possible um, and it always looks good for skills coaches with the basketballs involved in the snc stuff um we took a um we took an emphasis, a big emphasis on that positive first step rather than a negative step backwards because, you know, it's something you'll see once you add in that verbal reaction, kids will start to take a step back. So you really want to kind of emphasize that what you, you're now coming further behind yourself and we want you to get forward. So maybe try to emphasize that. And we did that over a period of time. If they couldn't get it, if they were constantly stepping back, then we would kind of have that angles over inches approach where if you take that step back, then you want to get yourself in a good acceleration position to produce force and go forward. Um, and that was kind of phase three, mate. It was, you know, we started adding in visual and verbal reactions and kind of together and stuff like that um, and seeing how they reacted, work on their regressions, try to progress them on. And then ironically, you, you, you know, and I think this kind of needs to be stated, when we went into phase four was the first time we introduced competition between each other. Now, this is probably 14, 15 months into a program. Now, this doesn't mean, mate, that I'd never let them have a race right. before, you know. It just meant that I wasn't paying a huge emphasis on making sure they could keep the certain technique within within the race right so this was reinforcement verbal and visual reaction and competition um so it was only really for the athletes who had really sufficient technique and that was the majority of them at this time well, our squad had narrowed to about maybe 16 to 20 at this point and they were all pretty good um we would do kind of different like you know verbal visual reaction games and chasing games you know like one kid on the knee starting position and chasing another kid split stance kneeling or stomach stance stuff like that uh, it was kind of a continuation continuation of um for all the kind of work from previous phases as well and a more kind of a move towards i guess game specific stuff uh i guess you know you always hear coaches say if you want to see sprint mechanics done well put them in a warm-up if you want to see them go to shit put them in a game and that's it's pretty true right so you want to be i'm a big fan of want to be hesitant before you give in game-like scenarios if they have got shit technique in the first place um, and this is this is just for like straight line speed and you know, obviously when it comes to reaction training for agility it's a whole different ball game um, and then the, the kind of final phase, mate, and it was it was a, what we call reinforcement and fine tuning. Um, 
I don't know how it works in, in Canada, but in Ireland, so if you're if you're at under 16 level, you do state examinations called um, the junior set. So the kind of the first part of the phase is all about reinforcement of technique because girls have been doing their state examinations for about three or four weeks. Some of them had trained, some of them done a little bit, but they hadn't done a whole lot. So first couple of weeks, and we had a lot more access to them now throughout the summer leading up to the Europeans. Uh, so like just like in the, the strength phase earlier when we nailed the basic plyometrics, here was a really good opportunity to kind of reinforce technique and kind of we uh, what we did now because we had a lower amount of athletes we actually had an iPad and we were able to have some feedback visual feedback in real time to kind of give to them and that kind of that kind of how we progressed on from then you know we we would let them run give them real time feedback this is this 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 and then we let them recover and we let them go again and we kind of worked from there and as kind of you know uh, form and technique was sufficient a lot of this once again the kind of main aim was make perform high speed work over distance appropriate to you know acceleration or to the sport that we wanted to do let them recover fully and go again that was kind of the approach we took mate i love it man that's uh, i'm definitely gonna have to review everything you just said there because it's, it's important to have that system that structure and you know the, the the phases and the progression that you guys have was perfect it was it was really good breakdown and a really good kind of right where it's progression like they weren't jumping too far ahead like you were putting emphasis on on the basics, the technique early on, then you would add in and, and progress a little bit more. So, you know, definitely got to review that and maybe implement it into our speed and agility program we use at, uh, at St. Andrews because that's a, uh, it's a great approach, man. Really great. Cheers, mate. Yeah. I think especially when you're dealing with youth athletes and they've never had an introduction to speed before because, and we actually had Neil on yesterday and we were talking about competition and, you know, how much want to make it fun for the athletes and stuff like that. Um, it is, uh, don't get me wrong, some of it's a bit boring. I'm not going to lie to you. You know, sometimes you have to find a way to, you know, you can have a very light level, you know, passing drill or something like that. But mostly, mostly I've used that time to chat to the athletes, find out about them, you know, find out how their injuries are holding up, how, how school's going. And, you know, all kids want to tell you certain things that don't want to tell you certain things, you know. So if you ask them, you know, about something, you'll see some other girl in the group go, ah! like this and they have a story to tell and then they'll tell that story and all of a sudden you haven't got to worry about resting sufficient time because you've gone over it anyway right. you know so you have to find ways to make it not boring without implementing competition too early no doubt no doubt so going back to kind of like you you were mentioning that you guys are you've been coaching in the europe at the european championship level um i kind of want to dive into like yeah. some of the daily routines the recovery strategies and just some of the steps you took to monitoring your athletes throughout this uh throughout these championships yeah, mate. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the Euros are a super intensive, um, super intensive uh, tournament. We played nine games over 12 days in Montenegro. Um, it, it's it's a lot. So I, I give you an example. Let me just, uh, the daily routine would kind of be, um, it would, you'd wake up a certain time in the morning, go get breakfast. Um, then you go straight to training. You'd come back. You would, uh, so let me example. So at 7.50, you wake up, 8 a.m., you go for breakfast. Uh, 20 past eight, you're bus to the gym, you're training at 10 to nine. You're returning your accommodation at half nine into showers for the girls. So they would go get changed stuff, 10, 30. At 10 o'clock, at 10.30, we'd have a team meeting, video session. They'd have free time from 11 to 12. We'd do a vertical jump and mobility, uh, 12 and then 12.45, they would nap. They'd wake up again at half one. They would do some free time. They would have lunch, then physio, free time, bus to gym, game. It's, it's intense returns, accommodation, contrast showers or recovery strategies, uh, dinner, normal text, whatever, right? So I guess once you understand that it's a super intensive um, 
time, you have to figure out how you're going to monitor these athletes and make sure they don't burn out and how they're going to recover. Right. So what a, what a, what I would, uh, what, I, what we did when it came to monitoring is we had a couple of ideas. So we had done a lot of monitoring over the years. We had our vertical jumps, our CMJs we used in every international trip. But at this point, every girl had their heart rate monitors. So we would be checking kind of most mornings their resting heart rate. It was a little bit, you know, the, the resting heart rate in the morning was um, a little bit iffy because some girls would be, obviously be super nervous for games. It would, you know, and you'd ask them about it and would fucking. So we kind of scrapped that pretty early on. I wasn't too worried about that. We had their heart rate monitors on them whenever they were playing and whenever they were doing training so this gave us a lot of data and we kind of put it into uh, i don't know if you've ever heard of it the summated heart rate method it has a lot of flaws don't get me wrong um but um but it kind of we 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 used it because it gave us information that was pretty objective for measuring some kind of internal physiological load um so it's kind of it measures the time at each heart rate zone one three five each zone has a different score and you calculate um calculate that total score so we did this for training and games. So we knew who had spent the most time at certain high heart rate zones in every game that they played at in every training session. Um, so that, that then kind of would implement how we would then choose who had certain recovery strategies. And I'll get into that in a second. But uh, a really good thing that kind of it allowed us to do was, you know, you're playing a game, you expect to have a high score in a game, you know, people play more minutes and stuff like that. But at training sessions in the morning, people, players react in different ways logically to different things, you know? So you might have a point guard and you, you're practicing plays and all of a sudden you look at that point guard score from that morning and it wasn't that far off a game, you know, because she's the one who's constantly playing the play and constantly running the play where everyone else is switching right. in and switching out. So that, that was something we were able to kind of sit down with the head coach with and he was, I could not have had more of a dream head coach. Uh, he was like, okay, cool. And we just changed that. Or we use the other point guard for certain things, this, 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 this. And that, that kind of stuff gave us some data that we could use, um, in tournament, that would make a little bit of difference. Uh, you don't want her doing similar things in the morning as she does in the evening and stuff like that. Um, and we, we got, every time we would try to lower the internal load of the morning session, um, and we managed to do that, actually get down, 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 down. And obviously, a lot of that is because they're starting to get tired anyway, so they're probably putting a little bit less effort in, um, and they're not maybe as focused and stuff like that. But that, that was kind of the goal, which is lower the internal load in the morning, and obviously let the game be the game. We used the vertical jump score every day. Um, we had about two years data of a CMJ. So we had quite good, um, quite good kind of their average score, jump scores at that point. So we can kind of see if there's any big drops and jumps and stuff like that. And we were kind of identified that leading up to a game. So, okay, this might be an issue. This might not be an issue. Um, we also had, uh, I suppose, uh, probably after we finish this, I might touch on injury reduction, injury analysis, but to kind of make this a little bit more idea so you have a better idea of what i'm talking about here but we had what we call us like a, a session log or like a session rpe score so their minutes times how hard they found it out of 10 um it was you know we kind of about two games into this we stopped getting them to fill it out and we just kind of chat to them and found out and i would write it on my hand when they weren't looking so i'd have an idea it's like how hard was that game you know how you feeling i would kind of so i haven't you know as much as the heart rate data we had the vertical jump and we had their kind of how many minutes they played in the game and how hard they found the game was. Um, and that was kind of what that would do then was influence our recovery. So we had a couple uh, recovery strategies. Uh, we used contrast showers in Montenegro um, because we didn't have any baths. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I'm only looking for any psychological effect of feeling better. And they love, some of them love the ice baths. Some of them love the contrast showers. They feel better afterwards. I'm all good with that. Um, we're not really looking for any huge training adaptation in, in, a, in a European championship. So I'm not worried about blocking that at all with ice baths. I'm worried about how do you feel psychologically? How do you feel? Are you ready to go? 
Um, a funny story really go back a year earlier to Israel is that somehow I convinced this on the 20 team that they loved ice baths and they were like, oh yeah, but they didn't mind it because they felt so good the next morning. Um, in Israel, we're feeling it's 48 degrees Celsius. I don't know in Fahrenheit what, what that is, but um, you know, it is hot as shit. So we're filling up the, we are filling up the baths. You can't get cold water out of the taps. <laughs> so, so you're starting with a, we had to fill the baths about, you know, 10 a.m. in the day and they would start to kind of cool down around maybe 11 p.m. at night when we'd finish the games. Um, and at that point, we're like trying to get ice. I'm downstairs fucking bribing um, people behind the, the counter at the um, hotel to try to get ice. And the Team Germany had come in an hour earlier and taken it all. And Team Germany had paid whatever, so much money to the guy, had given him a big old tip. And he was carrying a crate of ice up to their rooms and stuff. And so very difficult. All these things you don't think is going to be a problem that end up being a problem. So we went for, in, in Montenegro, we went for contrast showers. That would kind of happen after the game. Um, and that would give us time to really, that would maybe take an hour. So we had a female coach with us. So they were obviously in their own dorm rooms, but she'd be kind of walking the dorm. Um, and she would kind of make sure that was all going on. They were doing all that and tell them when to switch. We, me and my brother would be in measuring all the heart rate scores and getting all that sorted. Um, we then, then that would kind of, we'd have all the lows and we would kind of, uh, that evening after they've had dinner or they might have dinner, sorry, before the contrast showers, just depending on, it really wasn't up to us. It was a schedule that they allowed for us, I guess, at the hotel um they would either going so whoever had the highest score would get on the normatech recovery routes first so we had two of them they would spend half hour each and we'd work our way down so it took about there was what took about or maybe three or four hours to get everyone done so if you didn't play many minutes you weren't really that bothered about it you didn't get in them so we start with a high score worked our way down anyone who had you know any kind of muscle tightness would go see the physio for a light rub and just kind of a chat more than anything um the next morning we would do kind of once they come back from training we might do a light like a light enough mobility session in the hallways we'd kind of look at how um how they were moving around the shoulder joints around the hip joints if there was anything uh that we could do to kind of improve that um and they, they you know you do a mobility session you just generally feel a little bit better and they seem to they seem to enjoy that and then we'd let them nap every day and we've been working on this for about two years you know international cats getting them really good at napping and so nap for about 25 30 minutes and my god did they love that you know you have to find stuff they love they would love to go into their room even if they didn't nap mate they're they just getting 25 30 minutes away from everything and that's important um and that was it really we kind of it would change day to day you know leading up to a game they might have physio and stuff like that and if they need anything we'd do it for them a big thing that i always love to do and it's a very subjective and anecdotal thing but uh when players are struggling to sleep obviously we take their phones off them at say 10 10 p.m or so because the junior team um get them down the floor, get them foam rolling a little bit, just light, light, not nothing too hard. Not, don't pick any trigger points because that's going to spike your heart rate. But if you've ever got on the floor and foam rolled, you just feel a little bit more tired afterwards, right? So just light foam rolling the whole body, you get in the bed and they just seem to conk out like that. So that's something I've always used. Um, very anecdotal, but I like it. And that was kind of it, mate. Well, that's awesome, man. Like all these daily routines and the consistency and the, the recovery strategies that you guys are implementing, all kind of tie back to, to injury reduction, right? Um, we're never going to be able to completely yeah, prevent yeah. injuries. Um, but, I mean, as strength coaches, one of our main roles is to make sure our players are available to perform at the best of their ability. I, I firmly believe your best ability is availability, um, especially at a young age and a pro level. Um, the Kind of the same mentality needs to be taken, taken into account. Um, so I think you guys did a great job on on you know making sure everybody's taken care of um and you had the numbers to 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 justify everything right so 
how would you new? I mean, you kind of touched upon a lot of ways you'd use those numbers to help with reduce the injuries. But there's is there anything else you want to touch upon in terms of injury injury reduction? Um, in this sense, yeah, I I think I think and something I really wanted to say today actually, and thank you for asking about injury reduction. Um, there's a lot. There's you know the role of a physio, and we'll get into that in a second, but. Whenever you come into any program, you, you you know, or any new sport, and basketball was a new sport, I suppose, for me at the time. Um, it's kind of a fringe sport in Ireland, so there's not a whole lot going on. Um, you're looking at, obviously, the main common injuries being ankle, knee, and lower back. You find out all about that, and then you find out what the main common causes are. And then you get, you maybe might be contacts going up to the rim and landing, and you know, short shots, rebounds, stuff like that. <clears throat> obviously, we're dealing with a female team, so you may be looking at a higher risk of ACL. You know, see some studies that goes. I'm saying it could be five times more likely for a girl to suffer an ACL than a guy. This is all stuff you want to be thinking about in the back of your head because an ACL is a substantial injury and you're going to miss a European Championships and you're going to get cut from a squad if, if you're not there for nine months of it. So I have the same approach every single time when it comes to injury reduction. If you care for your athletes, you will see a reduction in injury go down because you'll do everything that's possible to reduce that. And the amount of people I talk to that they, they go, oh, my, like the amount of strength coaches I talk to and go, um, I get a, I had so many injuries this year, blah, 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 blah. And I go, okay, so tell me how many of them were, were re-injuries? How many of them have been injured like before? And I go, oh, I don't know. And I, I go, I'm going to say the same thing to you as I say to every other coach. Previous behavior predicts future behavior. And that's never as true as when you talk about injury. The first day you get in there, get a list of every single injury that athlete has had. It might take you two weeks to get that list, but you're doing an AA phase at the start anyway. It's not a whole issue. You find out exactly who had what, and then you have a lot of time at international camps and a lot of time that you spend with athletes to find out how the injury happened. So you might say, I might train them for an hour in the morning, but they might still have five more hours of training that day, um, split up, of course. But I have a lot of time then to go and find out how did this injury happen, how did that injury happen. So, you know, give you an example, if they suffer from tendonitis, well, that's going to influence my programming. I might reduce the range of motion, their squats work and their hip work, you know, glutes, hamstrings, and hip hinging, hip thrusts, maybe some hip flexor work. And then obviously their intrinsic foot control and stuff like that. You know, I mean, a big thing we've done um, is that we spent, you know, for two years that program, everyone had foot work to do in the morning, every morning when they woke up, whether it be short footing, active arches. Now, did everyone do it? I don't know if I can clue, but I can tell you, you, you definitely see on, you know, the ability to cork through the foot and the squat was a lot better than when in some athletes than it was in others. And you can maybe put that down to that but once you have that list of injuries and you get that chance to talk to them it's going to give you abundance of information and where i think where i think is a most you know a very underused part is the physio for some reason we have this in our head and physios have this not every physio and i'm, I'm not shitting on physios here they tend to be reactive rather than proactive okay, when someone goes down, I'm going to work on them. I'm going to strap their ankle. Oh, they've had a concussion. I'm going to make sure it doesn't go back in, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. Oh, no, I'm going to diagnose this. That's amazing. That's half their job. Amazing. But the other half of their job has to be the fact that they have to look at reducing the injuries. You know, they have to, they have to work with us in a team. I always say that, you know, if you've got a head coach and a skills coach and they don't talk about trying to do something in a game or trying to, and then it happens, they go, oh, next time we'll fix that. You know, well, yeah, okay, that's great. But Surely, if you talked about it beforehand, you could have done a better job at it. Now, obviously, it's different scenarios, different cases, but the, the role of a physio should always be more proactive than reactive. I, I'm a 100% believer of that. I'm not waiting for something to happen. I'm waiting. I'm trying to prevent it happening to or lower the risk of it happening. So why are you not also? Um, and physios, some points, like I've been very lucky with the physios I work in basketball, but in other teams and other sports, uh, they don't seem to like that. They think their job is to sit there, 
when something happens, I will strap an ankle before a game and I, I will do this, I will do that. No, that's not your role. Your role is to make sure that you don't have to work pretty much. Um, so I would be on my physio all the time. Well, you've got more time than I have to talk to the girls. Um, you're, you've got, you're giving them a rubdown. You can find out so much about them in that period of time, translate it back to me. We can have a look over their programming and we can adjust it to their um so that's a big thing we done really well with the montenegro team i want to give a shout out to aideen holland the physio that year because she was amazing um, and she doesn't probably get enough credit in the report actually i should probably go back and edit it she was literally amazing um, and she got really on board with okay you know this is what we're going to do this is what we're going to have and every time i had an issue or a problem with programming i was like what do you think and we would adjust and stuff like that um then we i suppose if you to kind of give some context we would um we had a a setup which wasn't funded. The girls would pay to play pretty much. So an international setup in Ireland that wasn't funded. Um, so it was it was very tough to really get any extensive monitoring strategies done. So what we did is we looked to have the most cheap option, and which was, you know, zero money, which was a session log. So basically we used an acute to chronic workload ratio. My brother was doing his master's dissertation on Tim Gabbett's work at the time. So we were kind of using that anyway. So we had a good understanding of that. And we would have a very simple thing where we would lay out their week for them. We would send it out in an email. At the end of the week, they would fill it out with their session lengths, RPEs, and any other additional comments that they had. We would fill that into a weekly load, and we would use that to have a four-week rolling average of acute to chronic work. Now, there is issues with that, of course. You know, you're waiting four weeks to find out something went wrong, um, pretty much on workload stuff. But when you have zero money and you're, you're a low-level program financially anyway, you have to kind of do the best you can, and that worked really well. So when we were looking at, I guess, you know, their, their sweet spot of 0 0.8 to 1.2, maybe a little bit higher, maybe a little bit lower. And if we saw obviously spikes and, and obviously maybe under levels or under training, then we would adjust accordingly or try to adjust accordingly. Um, and then I guess another aspect of that is, you know, we have, we are doing international training camps and you don't want to be, you don't want your player to get a soft tissue injury at international training camp because you're meant to be the one who's, who's protecting them. But that's probably, the most likely place they'll get it to be honest because they might play monday morning they might um they might do an hour even monday evening might do an hour wednesday evening might do an hour they might have a strength session tuesday they might play thursday maybe rest friday and then they come in so they may have done maybe six to eight hours in a week and then we're asking them to do 12 hours of training over two days in an intensive nervous area because they want to do good because they're on the international team they don't want to get cut there's so many factors that go into that. That's probably the highest place they might get injured or the week leading off after that is where they might get injured. So that was really important for us to have some data in the in the ideal workloads that we were looking at and then try to adjust accordingly. And that was tough. But we, I don't think there was ever, I can remember one maybe slight quad pull in two years, I think. Um, and so I think we did a decent enough job, especially uh, as they, you know, as they got a little bit older and they were able to produce more force. You know, you're not really crazy worried about kids who can't produce a whole lot of force doing a whole lot of injury but as they get stronger and as you're making them stronger that's probably when you want to start looking at the um the real interest into it and then what we did aside to that was a, a subjective questionnaire and i i call it like a recovery points template mate um i sat down with a nutritionist and i sat down with a team psychologist and i said i want to develop something that encourages them to do the recovery strategies both from the nutritional side and the snc side so we sat down me and nutritionist we went 50 points each 100 point system and the psychologist kind of gave us some advice on how to write the questions and all that kind of stuff. And that worked really well for some and some never done it. Um, and that's fine. Some never, basically we're trying to make it as easy as possible for them. So about five, 10 minutes of extra work a week to send in their stuff, fill it out. That was pretty much it. Was it the most objective? Was it the most, um, 
accurate? Probably not. Did it give us abundance of information? Yes. Did we um, did we use that well? I think we did because what that allowed us to do was to have a look at the load they were going to be looking at under European Championships. Um, kind of, I, I guess we used the the workload from um, we went to Copenhagen and Luxembourg just before the European Championships to play them. I kind of matched the game loads from there to how many games they would play in the European Championships and stuff like that. And it gave us an idea of where we kind of wanted them to be able to tolerate. So I always talk about building tournament tolerant athletes. So that gave us an idea that, you know, leading two weeks out, you want them to be able to hit this load and then we can taper off from there. Um, and that was, you know, did it work well? Well, we did nine games in 12 days and didn't have a single injury. Um, so whether that was pot luck, I, I would be more on the side that we were very lucky, um, but we did put a lot of effort in. And it can't be underestimated how hard these girls worked in the two years leading up to that, they put themselves into positions to do that. So a program is only as good as its implementation. Um, you can write anything, you can say, do anything. Someone has to do it. And they did it. So that, that was a real testament to them. And what I said, same way we talked about earlier about getting buy-in from um, you know, the 20 team, you want to play as many minutes as you can at European Championships and you want to be on the court as much as possible to show your best face. And that's what they did. Um, and it was quite a successful championship. We beat some big teams. Uh, we beat Great Britain, which was a weird day for me, obviously being English. Uh, beat Switzerland, you know, um, beat Luxembourg. It was some really good games. And we did a really good job. And I couldn't have been prouder of, of the achievement of the girls. Um, and that was kind of it, mate. That's what wrapped up the program, really. That's amazing, man. Like, I think you guys obviously collected a lot of data. Um, and lots of that information, you guys seem to use it in an effective manner. Because at the end of the day, like, like you, you use both objective data and subjective data, and you did a good job kind of, it seemed like you did a good job bridging the gap between those two. Um, but at the end of the day, numbers don't lie, right? And you're able to make those adjustments based on those numbers that you're seeing. Um, and going back to, to, you know, the proactive versus reactive concept, um, as strength, uh, strength and conditioning coaches, we're always trying to bridge that gap between both our athletes and physio, the skill coaches, like we're trying to bridge the gaps between a lot of different areas. Um, but when it comes to injury reduction, obviously bridging that gap between the S&C and physio is important. Um, and I think being proactive, like you said, is what kind of does, it's what does bridge the gap between you guys and gets everybody on the same page. So I love that approach. That's really, that's really good. And I think, you know, it's something that, that in collegiate or high school or, or university settings, um, a lot of coaches can kind of do a better job with that stuff. So Definitely some good takeaways from that. Some great takeaways overall um, from the from the entirety of what we kind of talked about. Um, but usually, like what I like to do at the end of end of our podcast episodes is get into more of like a flowing conversation. Um, but I kind of want to dive into you know why you wanted to come over to Canada and you know your role at, at the new facility you're at now. Um, so yeah, kind of start us off. What what made you want to make the jump to come over here? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, there's a few reasons. Um, I guess I wanted to see what I could do over this side of the world. Now, money, uh, financial, like money for SNC coaches isn't great anywhere in the world, um, and especially not great in Ireland. So you can be doing a really good job, but you, you know, you're not really setting up a life for yourself. So I thought, you know what, let's get over this side of the world. Let's, let's do some work that's going to pay me well. Um, and obviously, my girlfriend, I don't know if you know, my girlfriend lives in Boston. So uh, we met during our master's and she went back to Boston. So my goal was probably originally to maybe get over to America to be with her. But these are why it's quite difficult yeah. to get over to America and sustain this, stay there for a long period of time. Um, so you can go over, man. I could have got over on my graduate visa for a year. But um, basically, to, to stay there after a year becomes a lot more difficult. Um, so I thought 
okay, where, where's close to America? Where's close to Boston? And I can stay for at least two years and then look towards getting my permanent residency. Well, that's Canada. So I came over here. I wanted to work. I actually had a few offers from a few performance places here um, that made that the money was, it was not good enough to take a risk on, to put it that way. So I, I came and I took a, a pretty a pretty good paying personal training job at Five Fitness Lakeshore. Um, I started as just a personal trainer, but more, more recently I've got promotion. And now I kind of run the personal training setup there. So I'm what we call a director of training, which is kind of, I guess, in charge of, you know, hiring, firing, kind of onboarding and basically the continuous education of all our, all our trainers there and pretty much making sure that everyone's doing the best job to their ability. And honestly, mate, it's it's a pretty easy job. We have some amazing trainers at Vive. Uh, best personal training setup and team I've ever come across and a bit, a bit of it's luck. And, um, you know, you make you make you try and make hires and you try and make good hires. And thank God we've made some really good ones. Um, and we have a really diverse group of trainers and some really good diverse people. We have a really good injury rehab specialist, a really good bodybuilding guy there. Um, we have a, a really uh, like a, a woman who specializes in kind of post-pregnancy stuff. It's all really good. And I really enjoy that setup. Of course, my heart will always lie within SNC. And, you know, I think that's probably where I'll end up someday. But right now I couldn't be happy with my role. Um, it's definitely a little bit of a change uh, from working in an, you know, I guess, dominant athlete, dominant setup to general population. Um, I mean, the, I think it lacks the intensity that I was used to, I guess, because it's no, you know, no European challenge and no, away trips no big games and i love game day you know it's my favorite part of being an snc coach um but uh i've met some mate i've met some great people um you know in my time you know some of my some of my training clients are, are just amazing um and i have different goals now it used to be used to be okay it used to be now we need to perform well at european championships well this guy wants to lose 60 pounds i give a shout out to eric lutz he's a marketing executive out here he's lost 55 pounds we're nearly there done an amazing job i have these uh, an india uh, sorry a mexican couple that um one of them started at 260 pounds couldn't even really squat or do anything you know so we started on reductions of the you know trx squats all the way down now she's back bell uh, barbell squatting she's doing weighted split squats weighted re-elevated split squats all these things and she's lost 50 pounds 55 pounds i think as of this morning so it's a different approach you know it's a different i had to find myself setting different goals you know like um and I, I kind of, I kind of uh, tend to work with all the injury cases there as long as another, we have another guy, Jonathan Nickel, who's a rehab specialist out here in Toronto, who's amazing. And I've learned a lot from him. Um, but I kind of like, I, I do like that approach. I feel like I'm making a, a real effort to change someone's life if they can get them out of pain. So, you know, cases that intrigue me, you know, sometimes weight loss, I mean, I'm not going to lie, training general public and, and doing weight loss is very, very easily compared to training international setup. Very easy. So, um it's not really stressful. You you just, you know, you just have to be on, on demand, you know, and, uh, and help them. And you'll, you know, you know, if you can get buy-in from a 15 year old girl, you can get buy-in from a 40 year old man. It's not that difficult. Um, so I, I think, I think that's kind of the biggest difference, but mate, I, I enjoy it. I, I like it over here. I mean, right now it's a bit shit, right? We're all, we're all, we're all inside, but still like meeting these people, I've learned so much about business from training really good business people. I met a guy who's a really like a, an astrophysicist and a, he's married to this doctor and I was training both of them and they were telling me stuff that I'd never even fucking heard of. And then he was doing this study and he wanted to know about blood flow occlusion and all this. So it was all interesting. You learn all these things and I don't know how long I'll be at this role, but I, I have no, no um, interest in leaving it in the short term. I, I think I'm here for a long while. Uh, I guess my end goal was always to go back and do my PhD and get into lecturing somehow, but 
you know, I'm only 24, so I'm not too worried about anything just lots yet. Of time, man, lots of time. And, you know, you talk about, you know, it's a different approach when it comes to general population. But for me, man, it's like I've, I've dabbled in personal training as well. And, you know, it might be a different approach, but it's the same fulfillment, right? You're, you're, you're getting that satisfaction from seeing people reach their goals. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we're, we're in coaching to serve others. Um, and, you know, it's good to have experience in a whole bunch of different avenues because then it kind of pulls you back to not being a jack of all trades. Like I've kind of been struggling with, you know, identity crisis from going through stopping playing into coaching. Um, but even as a coach, you kind of deal, you, you sometimes struggle with that imposter syndrome or, you know, maybe people refer to you as the speed guy or they refer to you as the general pop guy. And like, for me, I kind of want to be known more so as just shot, just myself, just as a coach, right? Uh, I want to be well-rounded, well-balanced. And, and these different experiences really help you become a well-balanced individual and a high quality individual at the same time, right? Because like you said, you're learning things that you didn't even have an idea existed, right? Um, and so there's that, I mean, that different approach, same fulfillment. So it's awesome, man. It's, uh, it's great to hear, you know, you're, you're transitioning into, into a different culture. Um, but I mean, I, to be honest, like the cultural differences between Canada and Ireland, not too different. Obviously, there's some things here and there. Um, but like the people themselves, there's very welcoming, uh, welcoming environments. And, you know, people just want to, most of the time, especially, especially in the, in the, in the industry that we're in, most people want to be there to, you know, see other people succeed. Right. So it's a good environment that you're in and, you know, I'm, you're in the best city in the world, man. I mean, in my opinion, but that's a little bit of a bias, but, uh, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of amazing things to see in, in Toronto and, you know, hopefully once this is all said and done, we can catch up in real, in real life and, you know, sit down and have a coffee. I'd love to come check out the facility sometime. Uh, cause it looks great. It looks great with some of the stuff you guys are posting, but, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome, man. I appreciate you coming on today. And, you know, if you could leave us with anything, what would it be? Yeah. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me on mate. And of course you're welcome to come by anytime. Um, anytime you can come chat to our trainers, give them maybe a, a presentation i'd love to have you in um yeah I, I guess if i could leave with anything and it kind of goes back to the injury place if you if you care for your athletes and generally actually care for your athletes then the rest kind of falls into place because you will go that extra mile and it goes back to what we said about buying earlier as well you know um as long as they know you care they're going to be going to be um more willing to do things for you and that that's it care for your athletes especially you set up make sure they're okay Make sure you're not adding to the stress of their life. The last thing you want to do, you know, you don't get buy-in by making them hate it. If they can't do something today, don't fucking worry about it. Do you know what I mean? Don't worry about it. If, if things aren't going great, the only thing that matters, the only thing that matters is that they're happy and they're enjoying the sport. And that's within a youth setup. And of course, you need to get results. Of course, you're at a European championship. The whole country is watching you. You know, everyone involved in Basketball Island is, is looking at you. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, you know? I mean, I can't remember the score of the game that we played, and I can't remember too much about it. So no one else is going to. So go out there if you're an athlete, go out there and enjoy yourself. And have fun. Man. I'm, I'm, I'm a firm it, believer in coaching. Isn't about wins and losses. It's about building that character and and letting people develop as individuals, right? And uh, you hit the nail right on the head there. So um, again, man, thanks for thanks for coming on today and sharing some amazing insights, some amazing wisdom. I'm sure there's a lot of people that can take some things from this. But uh, yeah, looking forward to, to to chatting with you soon, Danny. Uh, thanks again. Thank you so much, mate. Um, and we'll have you back on my podcast at some point, dude. Um, and we'll talk about maybe, I don't know, whatever you want to talk about, come on and have All a right, chat. Man. I'm always we'll interested to, soon, to listen. Right. Thanks, Danny. All right.